Well, good morning, everyone. Wow, what a beautiful crowd. Amen. Give yourself an applause. Well, today I'm, uh, my name is Dennis Hall. I'm the assistant pastor here of Community Life. And I'm going to be sharing with you briefly just on, in God's word about uh, dwelling and remaining in him. But one of the questions that I've been motivated to ask this morning is, where do you live? And the reason I ask that question is, you know, because of Hurricane Harvey, we have all seen the devastation of Texas, and many of you know we just came from Texas two years ago. So we have a, a lot of friends and folk, my nephew, that were impacted by uh, the hurricane. But I pose the question, where do you live? I mean, so many of them have been displaced out of their homes, out of their physical dwellings. And so I would guess if my life and my definition of home solely depended upon the four walls of my house and my bedroom and kitchen and all those kinds, I would just totally have no other reason to live, right? If that was our sole definition of dwelling of home. Because as the Bible talks about, you know, those things will flee. Those things are just temporary. They're, they're wood. They're brick. They are disposable. And so I believe God is really asking his church, where do you live? Today we're going to uh, have Jesus really answer that question for us as believers of his church Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we do pray for those who have lost their physical dwelling. We don't make light. God, we pray, God, that you would sustain, that you would provide, that you would bring hope that only really can come from you. We pray for them. And Lord, we pray for us. Enlighten our hearts, enlighten our minds, Lord, that we would receive all that you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please um, open your Bibles to John 15, verses 1 through 11. This is my favorite text um, because it just it shows so much of my Lord Jesus and who he says he is and his relationship to us. But John 15 verses 1 through 11, I will read it. I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. 
you have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is God's word. Amen. To briefly give you a context, we all know that Jesus is about to be crucified, and this is in the context of the Last Supper. Judas has already gone and left to betray our Lord, and Jesus is in this intimate time with his apostles. And some even think he may have already been walking outside and on his way to uh, the garden to pray. And as he was walking, he sees this grapevine and he makes this beautiful... Can I keep the scripture up, please? He makes this beautiful uh, allegory of himself. And he says, I am the true vine. And as we have learned throughout this gospel of John, it is so beautiful. John emphasizes that Jesus emphasizes, first by starting that I am. I am goes back to Exodus. It goes back to when Moses asked the Lord, who should I say sent me? And Moses and God says, tell them I am sent you. So Jesus here is emphatically, even in the Greek, ego ami, Jesus is emphatically saying, I am divine. So I am. I am. Before anyone else was, I am. So Jesus declares to those around him, I am God himself. I was there from the very beginning. And we have several, uh, as we remember, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection of the life. I am the way. I am the true vine. And this is the last of those those I am statements of Jesus where he declares his divinity. And now he says, I'm the true vine. You know, as he looks at the the grapes, I am the true vine. He distinguishes himself from any other vine, any other identification. 
Because you see in the Old Testament, Israel was always compared to a vine. But it wasn't always in a good sense. The majority of the time was in a negative sense when they were in disobedience to God. So Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. I'm it. I'm the man. I'm the man God. I am the Messiah. I am all those other things that you identified yourself with. Because, you know, it was a huge thing to be the chosen people. It was huge that all the other pagan nations were to find God through Israel. And so that was their form of identification. So our question today is, how do we define ourselves? Carlinville, South Carolina. Am I a white supremacist? Am I a black nationalist? How do we identify ourselves? I know the world continually says that we must put black, Hispanic, Asian, you know, we have to put check male, female, we have to have all these roles of identification. But maybe God is asking us today, how do you find your ID? Is it based on your family's last name? Is it based on how much money we all make? Is it based on our lineage? Because, you know, I'm very proud of my lineage. Coming from my mother's side, the Shannon family, who were school teachers and and very proud and light-skinned people. Is that how we find our identity? Do I identify more with blacks than I do my Christian brothers and sisters or vice versa? Jesus is asking, or not asking, but rhetorically asking this question to us. When he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the main source of your life. It's not according to your tribe. It's not according to your clan. But it's according to me. We are the first. Of his creation that will show that we are identified with him. I am the true vine. My father is the vine grower. Here he's showing again the relationship between he and the father. So the father is, 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 is the one that takes care of the plant. The, the, the father is the one, as we will see, is the pruner. Because it says, he removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, this is is an awesome verse here because that word removes can also be translated as pick up or propped up. That verb removes is the same verb that we see when the disciples were picking up the pieces from the 5,000 that were fed and there were a lot left over. That's the same verb that is used, arrow. It's to pick up. So, instead of the translation of remove, because that sounds really like, you know, how can we be removed? And especially when the other line says, in me. Jesus is stating right in the same text, he removes every branch in me. So, I would say the translation is more of, Prop up the branch. Pick up the branch. 
Because if it's in Christ, you can't be taken away. Because Jesus later on says, Father, I have kept everyone you've given to me except for the one that was already preordained. I mean, there's no way that we can ever be removed when we're in Christ. So we use the word propped up. And as I read and talked about that, the person that tends the vine and grapes, A lot of times, grapes, the vine will, and and the branches will like go wild. And they'll start growing on the ground and they'll get dirty and they're trapped from the the sun. and, And they won't bear any grapes. Have you ever had that season in your life? Have you ever been there, church, when you don't feel like praying, when you don't feel like being connected to God, when you're laying on the ground, when you feel dirty, and, and you can't lift yourself up? Here Jesus brings comfort and he says, I lift up every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit. What a glorious Savior we have. That during those times when you just, it's not in you. You've been trampled upon. You may have even done your own thing trying to bear your own fruit. And it just didn't, it turned out sour. And you're sitting there on the ground and, and it feels like God doesn't hear your prayers. And God in his sovereignty, it says, he props up every branch that isn't bearing any fruit. Have you ever had any dry seasons in your life? If you're alive, you have. But praise God, it's not about us. It's about a Savior. It's about a God who props us up. And then he goes on to say, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Now, how many of you ever prayed that prayer, I want to be more like Jesus? Oh, my God. Come on. How many of us have ever prayed, oh, God, I want to be just like Jesus? Do you know we're asking for pruning? We're asking God to bring those situations in our lives that will cut off the excess, that will, that will, that will make us more like Jesus? Be careful, as we all joke when we say, be careful when you pray for patience. Oh, because won't he bring those folk in your life that get on your last nerve? Oh, come on, church. Be careful when you ask, oh, God, I want more peace. Oh, that's when the storm comes. See, because this pruning all connects to what God is later on going to say is it all depends on how you live in me. Whether the fruit comes. So God the Father, He prunes us. He, he takes out the excess things in our lives. And, and, and some of the top things He takes out are people. Sometimes we're hanging around the wrong people. And it's preventing fruit, abundance of fruit. Sometimes he deals with us in money. 
Sometimes that stock goes down and, and, and uh, he's pruning that thing away that we cherish more than him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's significance. Sometimes we're so big and mighty, sometimes God has to prune us a little bit that we become more humble. God isn't out to hurt us, church. God is out to grow us. What a powerful and mighty God we serve. And then Jesus goes on to say in his, with his disciples, you have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to. You, you've already been pruned. You've already been propped up. Because you've been with me. You've been discipled. Can we go on to the next? And here's the powerful part of, of the message. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. That word abide is powerful. It's, it's meno or meno. And the word can be interpreted as remain, but also dwelling. Like dwell your house, your home. Remember the question, where do you live? Where do you hang out? Where do you find your comfort and your security? Jesus is telling his disciples, as Jesus is about to be crucified and taken away from them, Jesus is saying, abide in me, dwell in me, remain in me. And this is in the imperative case. Those of us who are English folk, English uh, grammar, means it's, it's a command. And this is telling us that this is something that we do. Jesus is saying that not only is the Father divinely, sovereignly picks you up and props you up and prunes you, but there's something we must do. We must decide in our hearts and in our will that we're going to stick with him. We're going to abide with him. Even during Harvey, we have to abide in him. Even during Carlinsville, we have to abide in him. We have to live in him. Even when the media wants to tear us apart and say the blacks are here and the whites are there, we have to dwell in him. Oh, come on. We have to make this thing practical. Jesus is making it practical. This isn't theoretical. This is how we live. Are we going to abide in the knowledge that Jesus is the vine, the true vine, and we are the branches, and we live in him? We don't live by the dictates of the world. We live by the word of God. College Hill Presbyterian Church, are we dwelling, are we living in Jesus? He is our home. He is our resting place. If you're taking any kind of notes, there's three aspects of abide. I'm going to close with this. 
belief, dependence, and persevering. All within that Greek word abide is belief, dependence, persevering. Jesus is saying you must believe. You must trust me. Just think about it, church. He had been with these Talmudines. That's the Hebrew for the disciples. They were the followers of Jesus. They were probably really young. And Jesus is about to go away, and they're scared. And because Jesus, uh, you know, I would be scared. My, my teacher that, that I've been sleeping and walking with is about to go. And Jesus said, you must trust me. College Hill Presbyterian Church, things around us are getting crazy. Things may be getting crazier. And Jesus is saying, you got to trust me. Even when the stock market goes down. Even when things around us in our neighborhood start to get grave. Even when the crime goes up. and Trust me. And then he says, depend upon me. All in that word abides. Do you really rely on me? Or is it your own ingenuity? Is it your own strength? And you must persevere. All in that one word. We must endure. Stay to the end. Keep bearing fruit for the Savior. Because he says, those who abide in me and I in them, you will bear much fruit. Isn't that the greatest story you've ever heard? That all we have to do is have our house in God. And he would do the rest. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is saying here, the more we trust him, the more we depend upon him, the more we persevere in him, the greater the fruit. Oh, that's crazy. Oh, no, 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 that that really is crazy. You would think it would be all about marketing. You would think it would be all about us doing something. You would think it would be all about, about us having meetings and doing our own thing. You would think that as humans and as the natural way. But Jesus says the more we abide, the more we make him our house, the more fruit. Oh, my God. I know it's hard for us in the West to get it, but when you live in places where Christianity isn't as popular, you see the Word of God is true when you have nothing else to trust, when you have nothing else to depend, and when the only way to endure is with Him. I bet you those in Houston are abiding. (laughs) Abiding is more than survival. It's how the church thrives. I have a dear friend And I started this interview with her, and we're going to culminate with her. 
end with her. Cindy Carlson is one of my examples of abiding, of dwelling with Christ. Her home isn't just here in Cincinnati in the comforts of her home. Her dwelling is in the presence of Jesus. And so we're going to learn more about this amazing woman. Would you please welcome Cindy? Cindy, if you don't mind, just want you to introduce yourself and, um, and tell the church, because some of us may not have been here when we first did our interview, just why Thailand? How did you end up there? It was a wonderful opportunity to go to Thailand, and this has roots with Andy and Emily Etip, who lived in Chiang Mai, Thailand, for 10 years. While they were there, Sam and Barry Stair went to visit Emily and Andy. And when they visited them, they also went to the home of Esther and Rob Wakeman. Esther is a chaplain at Piup University, where I taught this summer. And the call went out for a need for more teachers for an English camp at the university. And Sam sent me that uh, email, and I replied and said I would go. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Okay, Cindy, so when you were there, I remember we we talked earlier. Mm -hmm. You taught. You taught English. Can you tell us a little bit about what it was like? Who who were your students? Mm -hmm. We were at a university that has Christian roots. It began with the combination of a hospital started by Presbyterian Missions as well as a seminary. Those came together to form Piup University. And we were asked to teach this summer a short English camp for the nursing students who you see here in this picture. They were incoming freshmen, and there were uh, 120 of them that we worked with. And the second week, we worked with 80 accounting, finance, and banking students. And every day, we had a half-hour warm-up done by the pastor of the chapel at Piup University, he and another woman came up with so many interactive, fun games and activities, and he had the students up on their feet, and um, it was just squealing and yelling and laughing and singing and everything. It was wonderful. And after that, the students had two morning classes. They were um, in a content-based class, and then they were doing activities and games. So this is how we approached helping them get more comfortable speaking English. And we also had field trips. This was one of the field trips that you see in this picture. Um, Our students took us to an archaeological site that was 700 years old. Awesome. Cindy, I know that um, when we talked earlier, we we talked about Thailand, and and even there we see it, like the religion, um, Christianity, definitely is in the minority, and the religion is, is Buddhism. Um, we had a missionary, what was her name? Anne Alexander, Anna. yes, mm-hmm. um, who, who's been in Taiwan all of her life. Can, can you tell us a little bit about Buddhism mm-hmm. and how that, you know, and Christianity, how they 
we we had a lecture by the head of the nursing department telling us about Buddhism. And the thing that struck me so much is that in Buddhism, it seems as though people don't know the reality of being forgiven. And to me, that idea of having no forgiveness, no opportunity to redo or start again, would just be horrendous. Um, and, and it seems that that's the way Buddhism is. The Thai people, in general, are a, a group of people that seem to follow the rules of Buddhism and it seems to be a fairly harmonious society for the most part. Um, if they do good things, they believe they will get good. If they do bad, there's going to be a consequence later on in life. And um, there, about 94% of the country's people are Buddhist. And um, part of that, which we saw with our students, is that they don't really dream about the future. Mm. It seems as though they don't know that they can make opportunities for themselves and uh, that was kind of sad and we, we wanted to see if we couldn't get them to think of dreams and goals for their own futures um, they also believe in Buddhism that nothing is permanent nothing lasts forever even one's soul so all of these things were a little bit surprising to me and I believe Christianity can really meet these people at a point of need um, knowing forgiveness uh, knowing that there is a, a lifelong relationship with a God that loves them. Amen. I mean, all people need to know that Jesus is the vine, that Jesus is the source of life. Cindy, you uh, shared with me about a neat couple, and I know the, the guy's name was Barnabas. That's easy for me to remember. Can you tell me about this couple and just how uh, influential they were mm -hmm. with you? I met this couple through a friend from the Cincinnati Chinese Church. This is Barnabas and Martha. Um, Thirty years ago, Barnabas was in Cincinnati and went to Cincinnati Bible College. And at that time, he met many people from the Chinese Church, and they've been supporting him ever since then uh, with a children's home. Um, he's a pastor. He's also an evangelist, and he oversees about 17 other pastors up in the Hill area, um, where there are different hill tribes. Um, in the region where we were, north of Chiang Mai, there are the Aka, the Lisu, the Lahu, the Karin, and the Hmong people. And Barnabas reaches out to them. This is a picture at the children's home. He wanted me to talk to the kids, so I talked to them about the fruits of the Spirit. Um, the man and woman that are the house parents of this children's home are Christians. Um, we also had a wonderful trip on a weekend. After we visited the children's home, we went to, the next morning, this very large Lisu Baptist Church. I was so shocked because this church is much, much bigger than College Hill. And I thought, where are all these people coming from? But there were a lot of Christians in that church, and they really loved worship, loved singing, and... Um, the children are getting involved with singing, as you can see here. So there is a lot of activity among the hill tribes, and many are coming to Christ. Um, I also wanted to tell you about a man that we met. His name is Klywoot, and a year ago in August, he became a Christian. He had been a village mayor, and he 
was having a very difficult time in his life. He was having financial troubles. His son committed suicide. And a Christian came to him. This is Clywood right here. And they said to him, you need to know Jesus. And he did accept Christ. And he started growing immediately. He challenged himself to start reading the Bible. He talked to um, Barnabas and said, you have to help me. You have to help me learn the Bible. And he built this little tiny church before he had even been a Christian one year. This is showing you inside the church. The night that we were there, there were 17 of us. Normally there are about 11 people that come to this little church. And these three people, along with Clywood, had decided to accept Christ. And our friends from Cincinnati, from the Chinese church, had sent $700 for Bibles in the Lisun language. And so we presented Bibles to them that night. It was very special, a very beautiful time to be with them and to see this man so devoted to Christ. His life has been just a, a very big turnaround from where he was and what he was to a man who's sold out for Christ and wants nothing more than to help other people come to know Christ. Amen. I celebrate uh, whenever I hear folks coming to Jesus. That is awesome. You know, during my message, uh, we talked about how the Lord props us up in those seasons of uh, dryness and seasons of when we don't feel him all the time. Can you share something that you experience? Um, something that was very difficult for me at the beginning, well, actually through um, much of the time when I was in Thailand, is that I felt on the outside of the team. And there was a group from Kansas that had been um, to Thailand before. They had done the program before, and they had a long-term relationship with the Payap Church on campus. So they knew each other well, and they were really tight. And I think maybe they didn't realize what it was like for people that was were not a part of their group. And I found myself really feeling on the outside and not being included. And I said to Jesus, Jesus, please help me always remember what it felt like to not fit in so that I don't do that to others, so that, so that I will include people intentionally. And I guess in a way that might have been a kind of a pruning um, away from needing acceptance from others and looking to Jesus alone. Uh, but I really would share that for all of us. Um, sometimes when we know others in a group, as we know one another here in the church and maybe for many, many years, we might not realize what it's like for others that are might feel more on the outside or not part of that tight group. So let's let's be very aware of that and... Um, and be intentionally open. Amen. What a great word. I also have one last question, and this was exciting when you were sharing this with me. Um, you said that you met a modern-day Paul, but in the feminine, a she. <laughs> I love it. So uh, can you tell us about our modern-day Pauline? Mm -hmm. uh, Emily Etiff emailed many of her friends and she said, Cindy's in town. Can anybody get together with Cindy? Especially because I had a free week after our program was finished and I was still there. 
Um, I'd like to introduce you all to Olzi. She is from Mongolia. She was um, a model. She was an actress. She had gone to uh, university to be an actress. She did that for six years. And she was very much against Christians. In fact, she wanted to persecute Christians. Her sister had a newspaper, and the sister wanted Olzi to go to a Christian conference. And her plan was that she was just going to dis everything that happened at that conference, and she was going to write about it and put it down. Uh, she told me that when she stepped into the room at that conference, her knees and her body started trembling. She started crying. She was sweating, and she felt like this, there was a huge weight on her chest. So she, I believe, had a power encounter with Jesus right then and there. Um, it wasn't, though, until about a year later when her little sister, and this is in southwestern Mongolia, which is probably in the middle of nowhere, um, her little sister had become a Christian, and she she stood up to Olzi, and she said, you need to come to church, you need to know Jesus. Olzi did. She had that same experience, the sweating, the knees buckling, and so forth, but this time she surrendered to Christ. Mm-hmm. She has been on fire as an evangelist ever since. And there were so many stories that she told me and that Emily told me um, about people that she's contacted. And wherever she goes, she is always on the alert for what God wants to say through her to other people. And um, she has had an impact on filmmaking uh, with with teens and others, and it's it's beautiful to see how God is using her. She's pretty much an itinerant evangelist. Um, she's chosen to stay in Thailand. She studied Thai in order to reach out to the hill tribes. And I'd like to just welcome all of you next week. If you would like to hear more stories um, during the mid-hour in the fireside room next week, uh, we'll just have an informal time for questions, answers, and stories. Or if you'd like to see more photos, I have so many. And uh, next week at Chappie and Mary Bell's at Bellwood in the dining room, we're going to have a lunch together and a time to show more uh, slides and pictures and tell more stories. So you're welcome to come to either of those if you'd like. Amen. I just want to thank Cindy Carlson. And also I want to thank College Hill because so many of you prayed for Cindy um, from hearing her first time at uh, you learned that she was going through her interview and everything, and so just thank you. Thank you for your prayers and your support. And uh, College Hill is, is supporting so many that are going overseas, finding their home in Jesus as, as, as they go different places. And so we just want to uh, say thank you to you for your Kapkunka. Kapkunka. Oh, amen. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> amen. God bless you.